Light, the entertainment lighting podcast. Thanks for downloading. We're talking about lighting, the people that do it, and how they do what they do. We're on the web at castinglightpodcast.com. We tweet at Podcasting Light, and you can find us on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Marin. Our co host today is Teresa Unfried. Hello. Welcome back, Teresa. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> so uh, where can people find some information about you online? Mm, you can find out more information at TajEventProductions.com. That's our website. And then um, we have a Facebook account. So Taj Event Productions on Facebook and at Taj Events on Twitter. Thanks very much for that. Absolutely. Our guest today is the fabulous Seth Bernstein. He is a lighting designer for video shoots, for fashion, for events, for any number of other things, including all sorts of crossover things. He's also a video designer and video editor. Uh, he can put together all those parts into one awesome package. Thank you for joining us, Seth. Oh, my pleasure. It's just a real honor to be included. Uh, now, uh, Seth, I know that you and Teresa already know each other, uh, including having you having designed a show at, at one of the venues that Taj Event Productions runs. Uh, what was that show? What did you guys do? Oh, that was a great experience. Um, it was a, a themed fashion show for uh, a TV show that was premiering, yeah. uh, and you know, Teresa was such an asset because as the house company, she just knew the venue really well because it's a challenging one. It is a, it is a challenge over there. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was just great as an asset to know the venue and, and help, you know, collaborate and getting the best design. It was fun. It was a fun project. Right, I'm so glad you're both here. Let's get started. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Seth, thank you so much for joining us at the Casting Light Podcast. My how pleasure. You, how are you doing? I'm good. I mean, I just, first of all, I've seen some of the other designers people you've had on here, so I'm really honored to be included, so thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, what are you working on right now? Uh, you know, it's it's the usual mix of, um, you know, let me just start, say, one thing is I've always had a hard time figuring out how to describe my work because it's so mixed. I Sometimes I feel like a mar- migrant farm worker, like moving with the seasons, like well, it's the it, season it, of this. Instead of telling us what you're working on right now, what, like basically, what are the percentages of your of your job? What do you, you know, you're, you're a designer almost exclusively now. Yeah. Um, but I know you work in a lot of different parts of the industry and you, you do video shoots, you do film stuff and you do live, you do fashion. Let's tell, tell, tell me a little bit about what the breakdown is of those things for your, for you. You know, it's, it's kind of like, like what you said, 25, 25, 25, like 25% fashion, 25%, uh, film and video shoots and 25%, we'll just call them like retail and events. And I guess the nice thing is that they sort of have a season kind of predictable. So that's, that's one thing I'm thankful for, but you well, know, what's the other 25? Um, the other 25, I would say, is the, the grab bag of okay. like parties, right. things okay. that people, you know, call for that part of me wants to say no and part of me said, let's just have an adventure sure, <laughs> <laughs> and see it that way. But, uh, you know, what I think the best way that someone summed it up is I was having trouble talking about my own work and uh, I was thrown into a project with Spike Brandt, another lighting designer, and creative director who I really respect and we, you know, he sat down across from me. He's like, so I look at your website. It looks like you do film shoots and camera-ready events. And I was like, bam, got it. That was it. So I've stolen that, that I do, you know, film shoots and camera-ready events, you know, events that are designed to be photographed and that most people experience not in the room but outside the room on the Internet, on TV. Right. And I think that's that would be the best way I'd describe it. Yeah, one of our last experiences together was – 
an Instagram yes. situation. Yes. There was much Instagramming happening. <laughs> exactly. During that one. And it was, re- it was beautiful, the pictures that they took. I mean, and that's... Yeah, thank You're you. Right. Who, camera, was take, who was taking the pictures? Uh, everyone. Yeah. It was all the people that were there did the whole, they had a whole hashtag or some, right? Hashtag yeah. for it. And it was. It was this is something really I, really, I really wanted to specifically talk about because it's something that I haven't seen very much of, but you do it. Mm. And there are some artists that insist that their design teams do it. I know what you're going to say. Design so the camera phone photos look good. Yes. Tell me about that, because I know that you do it. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's all about context. So I would never do that, you know, on a TV network project. But for a project that's an event that's publicity-based, you know, the iPhone is basically my light meter. Because the iPhone has a very specific range of not only brightness, but saturation. So, you know, really saturated LED colors can clip to a very gross looking white, orange, blue. It, it's just not good. And there's no way to describe what it looks like, but I would describe it as not good. So a lot of it is look at it visually. If there's a monitor around, look at the monitor. You know, if there's a video department who's doing iMag or something, look at the monitor. And then the last step is to take a photo, both a wide shot and a close up. You know, because you'll see things, especially if there's like a product involved or some sort of like artistic centerpiece, you know, you'll see different things on the phone, you know, close up and wide. So the wide shot, looking for all the range of not only colors, but brightness to make sure nothing's clipping, nothing's lost. And then, you know, checking the close up, because that's the thing with the camera phone is it moves. You know, there's a person attached to it. It's kind of got a mind of its own. So it'll go right up, you know, into something and take a picture. And then, you know, part of it is also making sure that the camera phone's not going to block the light, you know, that someone can take a picture of it without blocking the light because, they monitor the heck out of that Instagram feed. Like you're totally judged by that Instagram feed. And you see them at these events. There's a whole table of people. Set up. Yeah. And just do, to watch Instagram. Yeah, just to watch Instagram. And they're constantly watching the feed. So, you know, that's sort of your new audience because that audience has more input as to whether you're hired again than the actual audience who's attending. You know, the people who are watching that Instagram feed. So, you know, it's always a three-step process. You know, do, eyes, do you, monitor, yeah. iPhone. Do you find it difficult, though, with, like, with Instagram, how people can totally change the image as well, though, with how they saturate it and how they... I love uh, that. How they mess around with it. Yeah. And so it's it's a good thing for yeah, you. Okay. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Mostly because if you set them up with the right tools then they can really... They'll make really beautiful pictures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Because <laughs> if you don't clip it, then, you know, I always feel like people like a filmic mm. overexposed look, which mm-hmm. is not what clipping looks like. And so if you yes. keep everything exposed and you keep all the saturation with an exposure, then when they go to overexpose it, it looks like something good has happened. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, now what about for things that are happening, you know, that they're not products, they're actual performances happening on a stage or on a runway? You're just whipping out your phone and looking at it and seeing how it looks? Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, in a, in a Gigabi camera, it looks very, very different than the camera on your iPhone, especially after the iPhone processing. Exactly. And, and a lot of that is is if there's a LED wall. I mean, you've seen, you've seen it, you know, everything looks great on a camera and then the LED wall just looks terrible in an iPhone photo. Or it's the opposite where the LED wall is just so big that the LED wall looks amazing in the iPhone shot and the person is a white blob. <laughs> so it's, it's a lot of checking what that iPhone shot looks like and then talking to the LED screen guy to turn the brightness down another 10%. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you do a lot of integrated things where you have um, like video delivery services on stage with your live performers. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's I love that. You know, I just remember in high school with the very early like Media One Hundred editing systems that I would you know edit a video and then I would like leave the video editing you know, classroom and like go to a school play and like go back and forth. It was like very exciting, very cool high school of going back and forth between, you know, theater, video editing. And then basically when I moved to New York, it was around the time that integration started happening. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> I, I feel like integration hasn't happened the way people thought it was going to. No. It's happened in a very, very different way. Yeah. So since you were there from the beginning, you've been, and you've been on top of it f- since then. Tell me your thoughts on that. You know, a lot of it is application and opportunity. You know, if I was out there like doing my own shows, I would do certain things. But, you know, I'm thrown into like these very specific situations where you're sort of shown, you know, a rendering and you got to do it. And so, you know, that aside, I would say in practical application, most of what, you know, I've worked on is the video projector is not the light. It's a low-res LED source, and you're feeding it video, which, which I, I love. I mean, that's I think the creative LED modules are my favorite toy to play with, even though there's so, much, so many new things out there. A lot of the low-res LED products are still, still my favorite just because it's such a high return on investment, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you can feed it video on a screen that looks like an Atari-like level project, but in a low-res LED wall, combined with the right scenic design, combined with the right performance, it's gangbusters. And oh, I love that. Absolutely. I did a, you know, I did a tour with um, Mike Baldessari with a Dave Gallo set, mm. and he had designed a... Uh, it was for Yo Gabba Gabba. Mm. And he had designed an 8-bit portal, so it looked like eight-bit video, an 8-bit video game. Yeah. And it was blocked out with um, LED blocks and the content, so it would look like... Just, you know, it, it was actually lower. Than, it was more like a hard to 2600, but the point was it really worked. Right. Yeah. And, and I also love how that low-res LED module kind of inspired us to think about other ways we could do the same thing with a conventional fixture. Mm-hmm. You know, like using truss warmers more like a video screen instead of just like all the truss is blue and now all the truss is green. But actually thinking about, you know, how we can use lights in arrays as a video service and... I don't know about you, but I, that never occurred to me until I saw creative LED modules. And then it was like, oh, you know, let's take a step back and think about what else can be a video surface. And, you know, that, that I think is one of the best gifts of the video integration movement is like, what else can be a video screen? You know, what else can we, you know, maybe it's not video, but maybe it's something that looks like video. Maybe we're still using, you know, DMX and effects. Maybe it's not actually video content, but what can we, what other kind of fixtures can we use to make them look like a, a video wall? What are you doing um, setup wise and what are you doing playback wise to make this work? And I understand it's different for every project, but in general. Right. Um, you know, in general, I, you know, still love the inbox because uh, it has so much stock content and at the same time it's so easy to load because, you know, having grown up in video like After Effects is is just another tool in the toolbox. And so, you know, we'll page through all the stock content and a lot of times that'll give an idea for something else. And then, you know, I love the inbox because then you can just take out your laptop, get something from the internet mess around with an After Effects and load it right away. And I still find that to be the easiest, just it's all Mac-based, sits there, looks at you, gives you feedback. Um, So that's a big tool. And then a lot of times, 
we build or imagine infrastructure using media servers, and then it just the idea is just easier to execute using uh, effects and DMX addressing. You know, a lot of times it's you know really thinking about the project, looking at renderings always key, especially if it's a you know commercial project. What is it that they expect this thing to do? Uh, and then do I need to manage expectations about that, or do I need to? you know, dumb the system down, you know, is it overkill what I'm about to do for what they want? So right. I think, I think those are the two steps, but mostly inbox or, uh, just addressing all the, not to name names, but all the eye color accents. You know, one of the things I don't think people saw when Convergence started was some manufacturers have done this awesome thing where you can load video content onto the lighting console. Yes. This alle- alleviates the issue of like, well, I have these DMX fixtures, right? Because, I mean, for me, the problem historically and still occasionally is I have fixtures. They're DMX addressed. Now, right. I have this video content that I want to push to them. And now we, need, now we need some kind of black box to take the video content in yep. and turn it into DMX information for all these fixtures. Or other manufacturers have designed consoles that can load video, manipulate video right. on board, and then turn that into DMX and just send it out to the fixtures. Yeah. And still leave you control of the fixtures by channel. Right. And I love that for the reason you're saying that, you know, when we're going down that road with the technical director, we've talked about ways to do it. You know, I've always had to say, like, this decision needs to be made now. Like, are we video mapping or are we DMXing? And there's like no going back because it's a totally different cabling structure, totally different addressing. So let's make the decision now. Whereas running it through a light board would still allow both, which I haven't tried yet. But, it, it works. Yeah. Um, and I, I did a Broadway show last uh, last summer um, where we did that with a, a scenic element, and we we ran video over it via the console, and mm-hmm. we ran effects over it via the console. You know, we just sent channel data to it. You know, depending on what depending on what the elements needed to be, right. they could be whatever we needed them to be. Right. And that opens up a whole other level of possibilities. That you know, it's like I want the whole thing in a, in a color, which is. Not hard with it with a media server, but it's more complicated than it needs to be. Yes. Except you know, it versus group one thousand one blue, enter. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest lesson to take away is it's so important to understand what the expectations are for the thing to do. That you know, I've not products that I've worked on, products that I've been witness to, where people have just said, "Oh, you know, it's a video service. We'll figure it out later." It's very dangerous. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, can you can you give me an example of that and sort of the problems it caused and how you fixed it? Um, I don't know if I want to relive this without but. without talking about the <laughs> specific right. event, yeah. the specific yeah. vendor, the specific right. designers involved. I mean, I'll just say, you know, people who work with me know that I take stage washes very seriously. Like one of the first things I as, look as at, a people that works with you, I'll say that's absolutely true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I take stage washes really seriously. So, you know, one of the first things I do is like make sure we have a good stage wash. And so because of that, I get a lot of calls to do jobs where there's a whole, you know, mess of a backdrop and a this and a that and a flying in and a flying out and a cryo. And oh we didn't we didn't design a stage wash. So, you know, <laughs> here's a plot, Seth. Where can you where can you put a couple fernels and then come in and focus? <laughs> Total afterthought, the yeah. most critical thing in the room. Yeah. Well, can't, can't you just like, you know, wing a, wing a light over there? It'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. Which is, those are simultaneously my least favorite and my most favorite jobs because it's a huge, like, unpack the puzzle challenge. But at the same time, it's just like you're set up to fail. Because you, I also know that I've been given a plot, but that by the time I actually, you know, show up, 
all the Fresnels will have been moved to make room for the 12 moving lights they wanted to add. And the, the 12 moving lights that they don't know what they want, what they want to do with. Right. Yeah. And they're just there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and they like to suggest, we'll just use the moving lights. Right. As a stage wash. Right. Which, you know, it can be good. Yeah. It can be good in the right <laughs> hands, but, you know... <laughs> It, it was it was not going to be successful for for this circumstance, and it was the same thing with the video wall. You know, giant video wall had been put on stage, and you know, in the hustle and bustle, the video department had taken control of uh, the wall and the elements surrounding it. It was it was one of those very smart combinations of high res and low res. You know, there was a high res screen that was accented by low res, which I think is beautiful. It's a great way to go. But somehow the video team had taken control of the low res portion. And, you know, so there it was gonna be required that uh, you know, the stage manager was gonna have to call like effects cues to video who didn't have any stock content and who had no idea and, you know, the designer, like you said, kept saying, you know, this act is orange. You know, we come back for commercial, <laughs> it should, like, chase an orange. And then we play the orange video on the central screen. And since the video department had taken control of that wall, it was, you know, a struggle to detach the two systems and reroute it over to lighting, who could have, you know, from the start known it was just for accents and addressed it to DMX and done that no problem. But it turned out into a, into a big headache to reroute to a media server, design the content, and uh, uh, but most importantly, the stage watch looked beautiful. Uh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so, so and this is this is a case where you you actually had to completely devise a whole new fix for the problem because no one had thought seeing the problem coming. Right, right. They had just thought video on video, send it to the video department, and. You know, and that also was emblematic of forgetting the stage wash. It's just like, you know, not looking at the whole picture. And mm -hmm. I, I know, I mean, I work with all these people. It was an honest mistake. I'm sure this was a last minute thing, you know, and, and this is where we get in trouble with, you know, different companies because, you know, you have a video company yeah. and then yeah. you have a lighting company and the lighting company has a package and the video company has a package. And, you know, they have their own salesman and the salesman, I don't know if they fight it out. I don't know if it's just, you know, before the job starts, the salesman has made a sale, but it was a definite, you know, moment where you could see the disadvantage to like lighting and video companies and the way their salesman talk to a producer who then hands a show to a technical director. No, having said that, of course, there are situations where a server is going to be the only thing that's going to get you what you want. Right. And uh, what's what's an example of that with you? Uh, and and what did you use it for? And what did you do with it? I mean, I think I'll take. You know, I think I'll take a show that um, actually you and I did together. The it was a, a corporate presentation. It was sort of like a media walkthrough or influencer walkthrough type event where that was know, a really fun show. I thank you. <laughs> I had fun and, too. And it's too bad we signed those non, those non disclosure agreements. I know. I know. I know. I know. Stupid NDAs. Mm. So you know, it was an influencer event, and there were basically these different vignettes for different attributes of the product. Like this is the thing that talks about how um, warm it keeps you. This is the thing that talks about how dry it keeps you. And this is the thing that talks about how it's made. And, you know, this, this was for a company that, you know, is really focused on innovation. I know a lot of companies say that, but having worked with this company, 
you know, I can tell you they really do innovate. Like, well, I mean, it's the difference between, you know, an, an art musical artist that tells you that they want a look that no one's ever seen before right. and then asks you why it looks different from everything they've seen before. <laughs> right, right. Or an artist that, want, that wants to look that you've never seen before and you're going, are you sure you don't want front light? And they're like, yeah, right. I don't want front light. Right, right. So, you know, it was, it was an innovation-focused show. And every, you know, the walk through the diorama started with a video playing on two screens on either side of the diorama. And then there was a transition, the diorama came to life and then the product was lit up and, you know, they walked through the hall. And so, you know, that was a, uh, that was a moment where a server was the only thing that, that would have worked is that the, there were low res led modules that accented the video. And so they needed to be synchronized to the video through time code. Um, it needed to be video. You know, the the movement in the uh, low res content was so complex it could not have been done for uh, could not have been done with with DMX. The only way was video. The video was was pretty highly customized uh, with some. Well, stock actually, as, I, as I recall, you designed both clips that we used. Yeah, primarily. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was a sort of thing where, and, and that's where that's where the stock library is so useful is. You kind of page through the stock library with the client, and they see, you know, sort of what the capability is. And then and you, you don't watch the LEDs. You watch their face, right? Right. You watch their face as you sort of, like, page through. You know, you, you select, like, five clips that are in the neighborhood. And you page through, and you watch their face. And then one gets close, and you're like, that's great. And then you have a discussion about, you know, what works, what doesn't. And then you go into After Effects with a base clip that looks like, you know, the clip you found. And then... You know, just massage it a little until it's exactly what it is, or you put it on a timeline with the audio track so you can sync it better with the audio track and then load it back to the server, which is another, you know, way that the Mbox really worked for that job and other similar jobs with it, where there's like a ballpark idea to what the LED wall or the LED products wants to do. But the Mbox is great for, you know, a quick demo and then refinement in Let's After Effects. Let's find the specifics and yeah. move forward, yeah. Yeah, and then sync it up via time code to the actual video elements. You know, that was a show that was very well technically directed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, actually, that was a case where, you know, the creative elements needed to be so synchronized to the video. Yeah. We actually went frame by frame. Yes. And marked off, it's, you know, this many minutes, this many seconds, this many frames, this happens, and then three frames later, something else happens. Yeah, yeah. And that's the power of having the... The, the time code flowing in, being right. able to read it, being able to go by frame by frame, and then program the, the server to do what you need when right. you need it via queues. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's also, you know, a good reason to understand video editing because there's so many, there's so many ways time code could be misunderstood. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there's drop frame, non-drop frame, you know, there's, uh, f- there's free run. There's so many different ways to have time code. Not work. <laughs> I was about to say work, but I've mostly had it not work. So right. there's so many ways for time code to not work. And just the... I've mostly had simply work. It's just communication between departments again. You know, like... Which what I think time... is key in many things, <laughs> honestly. Like Everyone what... needs to have a conversation. Right. But, but you know, you ask them what, what kind of time code they're sending. And, you know, what the, what, the, uh, what the rate is. You know, how many frames per second. And it's like, it's not... And if it's not right, when you're doing like three frames, like a flash on the video has to be a flash on the LEDs, you know, you're re- it's really noticeable. 
when it's when it's playing back. A- absolutely. Yeah. So you know, in that respect, it's good to you hear many different things from from video, and then you're able to just take their clip, open it a video editing program, put the markers in, give the numbers to a programmer, and then you know move forward instead of having to re- rely on someone else to give us all that information. I wish every job had that much. Let's have a conversation at the beginning. You know, that was one of those examples of the technical director really having an understanding from all the departments about what they need and then having it all happen in an organic way. I thought that was a great, great experience. And even then, when certain things didn't work, there was an understanding of why. Right, exactly. Well, probably because of all the conversations that happened to begin with. Right. I mean, com- communication is key on most of the things that we do in this industry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So how did you get here? How did you end up learning about theater? How did, you know, how did theater find you? And how did you transition out of theater? (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Summer camp. Flashback. So, you know, I never really liked summer camp. Really, like, intensely did not like summer camp. And my parents, poor them, like, for years struggled to find a summer camp that I liked. And every summer was a different camp. And I hated it always. And then... Because mosquitoes. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Mosquitoes are horrible. No, it was because we didn't do anything. You, you know, like swimming, right? But like that wasn't and doing things out of popsicle <laughs> sticks and stuff. Come on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So like I said, Teresa, we didn't do anything. So right, right, right. <laughs> there's not enough doing. I, I really like to do things. And so I get that feeling from you. Yeah. So <laughs> God. easily bored, I think. <laughs> Very yes. easily. It's like, can we please do another show now? I'm over the show. Right, Teresa? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, so we're let's, ready to let's move talk on. about your condo that you're renovating. <laughs> You mean that I'm covered in paint but right you're now? Yeah, in paint. I, was, I was noticing I, you that. You came in, I saw you had you covered in white, uh, like your primer. Yeah. Your uh, your poor long suffering boyfriend is yeah. living upstairs and in a in a basically a studio right. trying to keep While the dog contained. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like when I leave in the morning or the evening or whenever, whenever he has to like physically restrain the dog <laughs> from like running out the door. Oh, God. So yeah, I just like, I can't have enough projects. So yes, when I'm not doing that, I'm at home painting, which I really like. Me too. Actually, and, it's yeah, very therapeutic. It is really therapeutic, <laughs> but now it's so funny now that I've been doing all this painting and like spackling, I have so much more uh, I wouldn't say respect, but understanding for the the cries for work light that like you know, oh yeah painting yeah. in the dark absolutely mm-hmm. yeah because like there's a you know and it's very much like a lighting thing but uh, there's a wall in in my place that I've painted like four times because it's right next to a window that gets direct exposure and so the sun comes in and it rakes the wall right. at different angles and depending on what time I walk into the room. You see what you've missed. Yeah. yeah. And, and I have di- that in my house right now, too. In a different moment. <laughs> and so I keep saying, like, I'm going to paint this wall in the light where it looks the most horrible. So then I spend half a day watching the light moving across <laughs> the wall. <laughs> And you That's know awesome. what? It just looks really horrible until like 5 p.m. when there's no more direct sunlight, and then it looks amazing. It's so a beautiful wall. Yeah. So all the scenic designers whose walls I've uplit <laughs> and whose crews I've turned work lights on when they're painting, I, I apologize. I sincerely <laughs> apologize for all the walls that I've uplit and side lit and <laughs> turned the lights off when people are working. But anyway, so but I digress. <laughs> so summer camp, you know, just didn't like, like, a, like you were making fun of before. I like to do things. And so, uh, 
someone in my middle school, I don't remember who said, you know, why don't you go try and intern at, at a local summer theater? And so, you know, I brought that in to my parents who were not wild about dropping me off at 5 p.m. and picking me up at midnight after the run crew let out. But they were, you know, they, they let me do it. So I started working uh, at the Hangar Theater in Ithaca, New York, uh, which I uh, started when I was 12. Wow. <laughs> and the first show was a show called Angels in America. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Which, you know, wasn't... That a little show called. Right. Yeah. Which wasn't that well known. So my parents were like, oh, you're working on a show. What's the show you work on? Angels in America. Okay, no problem. That so, sounds very patriotic ex- and fabulous. Exactly. So, you know, I work on the whole <laughs> show and, you know, I was 12 and, you know, it was just like, it looked, it was all normal. You know, everything's just sure. kind of normal. Like, uh, I thought it was, I didn't really understand most of it. I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. There was like flaming books and an angel threw through the wall, which I thought was awesome. And then, you know, it's like, I finally get comp tickets. It's like totally sold out. But I got my parents comp tickets and they came and, you know, I was running follow spot and I was dropping burning books. And I was like, I came down and I was like, mom, wasn't that awesome? And she was just like, just like white, like ghost white. Like what have, what have we what done have we to done? our son? <laughs> what have we allowed him to do? <laughs> exactly. And, and be exposed to. Exactly. So at that point it was over. Like I was going to do this. Like, it is the kind of show that makes you go, I want to do this. Yeah, exactly. It is. So, you know, that was how I got hooked. Uh, I miss it, but, you know, sort of the left turn I took from theater was um, 10 Million Miles. Oh, okay. Yeah, where, you know... It was the Patty Griffin Jukebox musical. Yeah, it was, you know, at, at that point I was still very into theater. I was working at theater regularly, kind of like moonlighting at events because it paid better. But, you know, at about that point, I started, you know, meeting people who work more in, in film production. You know, having spent time in theater and done events was a, a big asset, like coming into film. Because a lot of people, they went to film school. You know, they know the grip truck inside and out but they don't, you know, know some of the other tools. So, you know, something that would be, you know, like four Verilites would be nothing. In an event, it would be nothing. In a theater, but like in the right commercial where, you know, you have a frame that's small, four Verilites can like be a blockbuster show, you know? And so, you know, knowing those tools and then coming into that world uh, was just really fun because you could just blow the doors off the production with something that would, you know, be completely boring in a huge theater, which I love. So what were you able to, you know, from your experiences in theater and in events, what were, what were you able to bring to, um, to, to on camera? Well, you know, in this way, I sort of feel like I'm like half in the art department because a lot of times, you know, a, a film project is always happening somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of times, especially in commercials, they want the commercial to happen at a really cool party, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, right. you know, like this is where it's happening. You know, so many commercials, I, it must work because I've done a lot of these where it's like cool dude walks into a cool party and, you know, meets cool girl. And so, you know, you know, that you, th- now that you say it. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of those. There's many yeah. of those. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they need a cool party. They absolutely need a cool party. And there's a lot of stress about the cool party. And they, you know, sometimes they find a cool club, but a lot of times the club isn't right or there's too many brands or something's wrong with the club. 
So they, you know, pick an empty room and they're like, okay, you have to make a really cool party in here. And so like our department gets a cool, a bunch of cool fixtures. And then, you know, then it's like, okay, uh, and you know, lighting will make it look awesome. <laughs> and you know, which is my simultaneous, my least favorite thing to hear. And you know, most favorite thing to hear, because that means they've like given up, uh, control meaning budget. So now they're going to transfer some art department budget to lighting, yeah, mm-hmm. which is great. And, you know, then you, you know, find out the shots, uh, moving lights on road cases have just become like my, my best friend because, you know, you, you, you build a small grid, put a couple moving lights up for it. They're mostly like wash units, you know, just for like general ambiance and then put the moving lights on road cases. And then wherever they're shooting, you just have someone roll the road case in the back of the shot and then, you know, get on the console, watch a monitor and have the perfect move where the moving light values right into the lens. Right. And it's like, you know, minds just like explode. (laughs) And, you know, that's not because they're simple people, like they're very sophisticated people, but like that's, you know, that says cool nightclub. Well, and it's what they've been looking for. And they're like, I don't know how to do this. That's why we have the lighting people here to do this. Yeah. You do it exactly how they want to see it and exactly how they pictured it. Exactly. And yeah, minds can get blown <laughs> by that. And, and that's, I mean, but, that, but that's using the tools in a way that's different from, you know, uh, theater or you right. know, live TV where you have to put the moving lights in a fixed position and then, you know, hope that they block the camera correctly. But in something that's more, you know, production oriented or location shooting, you know, we put the moving lights on a road case and then wherever they're setting up the shot, you know, someone just moves the road case into the right position. They finagle the extra so they're blocking the cables and then pump the haze. Yeah. Have the moving lights in the ceiling do their thing. And then the moving light, you know, on the road case becomes like the focusable focal point, uh, right. you know, of the shot. And so, you know, little things like that, like knowing, knowing, what, knowing what the moving light is capable of from theater, from events... And then, you know, knowing that you can just put it on a case and roll it around in production just means, like, uh, someone's mind is, is Well, and knowing you don't have to make that experience for the entire room. You just have to make it for the camera. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you can really control it. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, just sort of taking some of the lessons that we talked about, how, you know, low res can always amplify high res. So, you know, things like LED curtains mm-hmm. just can make something outstanding you know, knowing to put it in the background so they can get it out of focus. You know, an LED curtain can look like a million bucks out of focus. Like it just looks like sort of points of light. You can make it move, you can not make it move, but it looks high res because those tiny little like two millimeter pixels, they become like three feet light discs, you know, out of focus. Yeah, in focus, it's not particularly interesting to look at. But no. And it's the, far enough away. Exactly. And the last one, <laughs> last one I worked on, you know, I we had spent not a lot of money on the LED, the LED curtain, but the director walked in and he went, "Oh my god, that looks like shit." <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, calm down. Yeah, yeah, wait yeah. a second. In real life, yeah, but yeah, she's yeah. like, "The picture I was shown was blah 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 blah." I'm like, you know, just hold on. Let us let us work our magic. Yeah, yeah. Let us turn off the work lights that are downlighting it, that are right. making it look like a brown wrinkly thing. <laughs> <laughs> let us pump some haze. You know, so it's it's a lot of uh, haze is critical for that, right? Because you need some ha- oh you need some God. atmosphere in between the curtain and the camera. Otherwise, you end up with you know this thing yeah. rather than a thing. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly, exactly. So, um, and then you know the other fun thing that I would say about, uh, you know, commercial film production is they love black and white. 
you know, that's really edgy now is to like shoot really high contrast black and white. And then sometimes they'll, you know, luma key in some color. So you'll see this a lot in commercials where it's like the whole commercial is in black and white and there's like one element that's in color. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever have a chance to design for a black and white shoot, do it. It's unbelievable how freeing it is to not worry about color, you know, especially because some of the best shots that you would ideally do mix so many different color temperatures they would never work. Like you would want like a really hard, you know, backlight from like a Sharpie wash. And then you would want like a really soft, you know, wrap light from like a heavily diffused Kino flow. And you would never do it because the color temperatures are- Would just be awful. Yeah, just would not mix because the Sharpie is its own planet. And then the Kino flow is also kind of its own planet. Yeah. So, you know, you would never do that when you cared about color, but when you're in black and white and all you care about is straight up contrast, you can do whatever you want. Right. You know, there was a shot in the last one where the key light was a Mac uh, 301 at -hmm. 25%. And on a color monitor, it looked awful. But it just so happened that light was in the perfect spot. It just needed to be dimmed down. So, you know, spun around, point at the person, looked amazing, but, you know, turn the chroma back up on your monitor and it looked awful. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned the, 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 the Kinos. Um, I don't know. Do you know Sean Kaufman? Yeah. He, do, have you seen his fixture? No. The SFK? No. So future guest on the podcast, Sean Kaufman has designed a Kino replacement. Yeah. An LED Kino replacement. Huh. I'm excited to call him about these units. I saw them a few days ago and they have the exact same beam pattern. That's a fluorescent. Really? I've never seen anything Soft. like it. Huh. Yeah, there, he showed me them uh, during Fashion Week a couple couple seasons ago because he had like some prototypes that he was starting to work on, and now he's ready to do some stuff with them. So The thing that's crucial is their RGB, warm white, cool white. Oh, that's so critical. Yeah. yeah. And I can't wait to see it. This incredible, you know... Uh, green control, magenta control, right? Mm-hmm. And you know you can tune that color temperature, and you know the way in a way that you simply can't with fluorescent yeah. fixtures. Even though you love that beam pattern, you can't do that. Yeah, exactly. And then they have their own personality, so you know yes, there's always do. like hints of magenta, or it depends. It de- it also depends on you know which brand. That's all just knowing the brand. But uh, so that it's I've had the experience recently of working in black and white a few times, and if I could never shoot in color again. I would just never do it because just the, the, the freedom of black and white uh, is, is just incredible. Most of these things shoot raw now, right? Yeah. I mean, they were shooting in color. No, but I'm saying but they're, shooting, they're essentially shooting in information mode, not in... You know, with a camera, especially something like the Alexa, which seems to be what most commercials are shot on, you know, it has a lot, like a picture profile that's, that, you know, is a sign. Because, you know, a camera, the sensor is basically just... A giant spreadsheet you know it has a bunch of cells and then in each, in each cell is the color information of the light hitting that cell and all it is is just numbers like red green blue this is what the red the red green and blue are doing in like this tiny little part of the sensor and so then you know the the really contemporary camera assigns a lot which is basically like a picture profile uh, either it assigns that in camera and writes into the file or it's basically writing the raw database and it's putting the LUT on just for the, just for the monitor. So you're like previewing uh, what the LUT is doing to the blacks, what the LUT is doing to the color, what the LUT is doing to the whites, to the contrast. But what it's writing to the card is just the raw information 
coming out of the sensor and it looks terrible. <laughs> like if you look at, if you, if you have a camera that's shooting, the, like there's certain Canon cameras, oh geez, uh, maybe it's not Canon. There are certain cameras that, you know, <laughs> when they shoot raw, all you can view is raw and it just looks really flat. It looks really gray because there's no emphasis assigned to anything. It's just the information that's hitting the sensor. It looks really flat, but in all that flatness is every bit of information. Like a, a LUT that's written into a card will discard data in the blacks. It will discard data in the white. It will shift the color a certain way, and it will just be gone forever. Whereas in the raw, it looks really flat, but all the information is there. You know, there's no emphasis on anything. Everything look, just looks very gray. And so a, a camera like the Alexa or, or another camera that can, you know, send a film look to a monitor and then record, uh, you know, a raw, unprocessed data stream gives them the flexibility to shoot, quote unquote, black and white. Because they, the, they, the, they have all the color information there that they can then send a black and white and then use that color information to get the contrast they want. So, you know, that, that sort of, to me to my non-camera nerd. You know, I'm, I'm only a camera nerd when it suits me, basically. You know, <laughs> I couldn't tell you anything about codecs. I couldn't tell you about, you know, uh, accessories, the, all the crazy things that camera assistants put on the camera or what they do. But, you know, talking about and learning about, you know, raw, LUTs, color space, they have my attention. You know, I'll be sitting in a corner when I hear them talk about changing... <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the conversation, but you know, that's, that's sort of my lighting design, lighting nerd understanding of what comes out of cameras and, you know, how you should have a stake in, in shooting, you know, raw, like, because if, if there's a camera that only shoots raw and that's all I see on the monitor, there's a lot of impetus to say somebody put a profile on that, <laughs> Yeah, but then information disappears. Okay. A lot of that has to do with production time. You know, is that something that they work on in post yeah. when they are shooting in raw? Yeah. So that's when, you know, and that's the thing is it saves time. Like a lot of time they don't have the time, so they have to shoot with a profile because there's no time to process it. Right. If they shoot in, you know, a, a raw or an unprocessed mode, then they have to color correct. So a lot of it has to do with timing. If we want to learn more about cameras and about how cameras work and the things we need to know, because it, clearly it's worth learning as much as we can, what's a good way to do that? Talk to the guys. You know, I think that's the best, that's the best thing to do is, uh, you know, there's those quiet moments, coffee moments. There are. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, co there's, there's, you know, some coffee moments that are great to just like have a conversation, especially, you know, and this sort of like my thing about watching the Instagram guys, a lot of times on commercials, there's an editor in the corner somewhere. And so, you know, most of the time the, you know, uh, production crew doesn't talk to the editor, but I always, you know, meander over. He's already got half the commercial edited. Like by the time you've shot a quarter of it, he's got half of it done. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So he's in the corner editing. And so, you know, bugging him and then asking about, uh, you know, this sort of, this sort of information. And then, you know, the internet, <laughs> mm -hmm. but mostly, you know, mostly it's like the reading articles on the internet is like a good basis. And then talk to a guy who's doing it, talk to the DIT, they're very scary, the DITs, but, uh, you know, because they're, they're basically surrounded by a bunch of scopes that are judging you as a lighting person. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, 
in addition to talking to the editors, if there is a DIT, which there isn't always, you know, he's very scary. He's usually in the corner yelling about something you're doing, but like, go talk to that guy and, um, uh, you know, pick his brain about what he does and, and what he thinks. So. All right. So speaking of being judged based on how things look on camera, <laughs> how did you pull into fashion? <laughs> uh, so, you know, moving to New York, I feel like you get sucked into it. You just can't avoid it. Like there's like an all hands on deck. As much as you try to. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't help. <laughs> no. You have to go. There's like an all hands on deck moment. And so I got swept into the all hands on deck moment, you know, working on, and this is like the pre-crash like mega show. Yeah. And so, um, in the pre-crash mega show, it was, uh, I think it was like a Y3 ice runway. Mm. And they had done many, many weeks of load-in. And I got there and I just saw like this wall of ice that had been made for this 10-minute show. And I was like, this is awesome. It's totally serious. Yeah. Serious stuff. Yeah. So I thought that was, I thought that was really cool. Just like that people, you know, because it sort of seemed like film where you work really hard for a 10-minute shot and then you take it all down. So that seemed familiar to me. A lot of people are turned off by fashion. It's like, oh, it's so much work for 15 minutes. Like, well, that... 15 minutes is hours of airtime and miles of blogging. So And so many articles yeah. and so many pictures. And yeah. it's it's worth it. Yeah. As much as some people like to poo-poo it, yeah. it is totally worth it. Exactly, exactly. And so that felt familiar. It's like it didn't seem weird to spend that much time working on one shot because you know, we do that all the time in film. So that was part of it. And then you There's know, a bit of theater to it too. There, yeah, it I was mean, you night. do get a little bit of the theatrical as well. I mean, I remember working on a show that both of you were on, <laughs> and it was quite lovely to watch the sunrise. Oh yes, which was beautiful. Yes. and there's your theatrics. You've got this beautiful sunrise that happens right before the show starts, and it's it was awesome. Thank you, Teresa. So, yes, yeah. theatricals. Huh? That's good stuff. That's true. I mean, it really was. Ev- it really is everything. It is when it's done well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Just to clarify, I was just the programmer. Seth was the designer on that show. <laughs> yes. Well. <laughs> but you should take credit. All involved. I got to walk that runway about four or five times. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I got to enjoy that too. Right. So that was, that was how I got into it. It was like this just mega testosterone show. And then the crash, like around 2008, you know, there was, there was the financial crisis. And the budgets got significantly scaled back. And it so happened that I had got thrown into, you know, one of the favors that a company was doing for an up-and-coming designer who was uh, a brand called Band of Outsiders. And, uh, you know, it was like a pile of dirt in a third-floor loft in, you know, on like 25th Street. But, you know, here was this clothing designer who was a total nerd, like in the way that I was a nerd. But he was a nerd about, like, clothing and history and you know, he just like worked in this, you know, realm of references. Like he wasn't like sitting in the corner, like sketching dresses. He like had mood boards full of, you know, clippings from, you know, historical photographs and, you know, from a journey to Scotland to find the perfect plaid. You know, he was, he was that, that kind of designer. And so that sort of opened up a whole new uh, realm that it was like, oh, there's these nerd boys who do fashion. And so, you know, that was my market right there was like the nerd designers. And so, you know, Band of Outsiders sort of grew and grew and grew and grew and started doing bigger and bigger shows and, you know, uh, was invited to uh, do a show in uh, in Florence, in Italy. And, you know, 
I basically kind of hoped that there would be more Band of Outsiders out there, but the truth is there aren't that many, you know? So I love working with them. You know, we sort of have like, uh, you know, a lifelong creative partnership. Like they just opened a store and every store fixture is a road case. So, you know, we have this, like, we have this dialogue and, you know, that's really fun and rewarding, but not every client is a band of outsiders. So, you know, now looking back, I kind of thought there would be more like them, but they're just very special. Well, it's great that you have the one. Right. Yeah. 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 And I feel very lucky to have the one, but, you know, so that's sort of how I got into fashion was having band of outsiders, like really you know, explode and go to all these amazing places. And then you just sort of like keep wanting to duplicate that experience. And it's fun, but, you know, I still haven't had another sort of collaboration like that. So that was a very special, you know, ongoing collaboration. And then they do somewhat non-traditional shows as it is. Yes. Yeah. They do non-traditional shows. And, you know, now that they're, they're sort of following an, an evolution that you see a lot of other designers do where you know, the show is a focal point for so long. Like that's the one thing they do every year. And then they decide to open stores and then the stores become like the focal point of the experience. So now, you know, the shows, you know, are smaller, uh, almost non-existent because the focus is all on, you know, the store as how everyone experiences them. So, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting. I would say, you know, nothing is forever, but like fashion is especially not forever. Oh, no. <laughs> you yeah. know, I know I've seen you do, I've seen you light shows that are, you know, with traditionally lit runways, you know, where it's, you know, the exact same amount of light at the top and at the bottom and the ba- all the backlight and all the side light that you need. But I've also seen you light shows and not that are non-traditional. Yeah. Um, where it's less critical that the, the runways even is less critical that the models are lit from every side and it's more about making an event and making it be this brand's thing. Right. How do you figure out, well, it's, what, what are the conversations that you have with designers to figure out which one it is and what it looks like? Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, my dirty secret and the part of my biography that I skipped is I was an anthropology major. I see. In college. Yes. It's my dirty little secret. Um, Hear that, kids? Yeah. <laughs> go, go to anthropology school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and that's that was... I got advice from someone at the, at the Hangar Theater, who I respected very much, saying, like, don't go to a conservatory. You know, go to a liberal arts school and read a lot, talk a lot, think a lot. Lights will always be there. You can still do theater, but, like, you know, get a background in something. So that was actually ended up being, like, life-changing great advice because every project is sort of like a, a anthropology, anthropological case study. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to take whatever information is available and you got to process it to figure out like what the culture is of the client. And so that's part of, that's a huge part of like the beginning of the process is trying to figure out, you know, their culture and like what's important to them, you know, what to highlight, what to hide, what are they expecting to come out of the the process? And then, you know, from there, that's the first step in lighting design is like doing a little, little case study on, uh, on well, the and not forcing your ideals onto them, which yeah. is, which is, I think sometimes what we come across sometimes with some lighting designers where it's like, no, I know what I'm doing. Maybe those conservatory schools, I don't know, maybe <laughs> this is how it's supposed to be. And it's like, well, no, take what they're having with their feedback and how they feel about certain things and go with that. Right. I mean, yeah. is that, you know. yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, that's, 
I mean, that's fun for me. I think, I think that may not be fun for other people is to like get in the minds of other, like they just want to do their thing. But like, I really enjoy parachuting in because these people, these people work on their brands or work on their whatever all year round. So it's like, they're in there all the time and they live that. They really do. Especially on some of the more cultish, uh, brands, they really like live that experience. (laughs) And so, you know, part of what I do is like sort of parachute in and just have a couple conversations. And it's like it's hidden in emails too. like just reading way too deeply into emails to like figure out what's important. And, you know, the the last ship fashion show, that was one Mm -hmm. we were talking about Instagram experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it was clear that a the roof of the venue couldn't support a runway system. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Number one, the roof could not support a runway system. Was that, was that at your venue, Teresa? Yeah. It was over at one of the venues I work in, yeah, at 545, the DS space. Yeah. So, you know, it was a fashion show, and that's why they came to me. They, you know, seen online work, you know, talked to people, decided they wanted me to do it. But, uh, you know, there was venue limitations. And then also... You know, all the material they had sent, it was going to be about the mood, right? Right. So, you know, and one thing, uh, you know, I know about, you know, something connected with a TV show is to like watch the, watch as much, watch as many photos as you can see about the TV show. And so, you know, like most contemporary TV, they spend an awful lot of time walking between pools of light. You know, they love that these days is like they really do walking through pools light of light and shadow. exactly exactly so like massive drama especially walking you know through the ship so you know i had this idea instead of like a front line of backlight system like let's alternate front light backlight so it looks like they're walking through all these pools because like, originally they said we want downlight you know we want downlight the whole runway and that was a moment where you know we could have done downlight but then there would have never been that clean photo Right. Of front light, it would have just been down light. So the advantage of the alternating, you know, front light, back light was that it would still be moody. They would still be walking through things, but there's a moment where they hit the shutter and they get the shot, the full shot. And it happens like five times on the runway because it's like front light, back light, front light, back light. So that, that was an, another example of like, you know, getting into the psychology. It was one of my favorite ones to do. Oh, cool. Thank it you. It was really beautiful. Thank you. So. Yeah. And it was, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's an adventure, but that's the sort of thing where talking to the people, doing a little, a little case study about what's important, because it was clear they wanted, like the, they had paid a lot of money for someone to design these gas masks, like very, you know, it's fashion, this high fashion gas masks. Yeah. They were crazy. They were like elephants. Yeah. And I mean, they, they were beautiful. There were a few of them that Jason and I were both like, I would yeah. like to purchase that. Yeah. That would be awesome. And, and these Art are, pieces. they're commercially available yeah. high fashion gas masks. Absolutely. Because, well, fashion. Yes. <laughs> so it was a show of like very, you know, commercially available high fashion gas masks. And it was clear that they wanted it to be moody, but there needed to be like a clean shot for the catalog. And so, you know, making that happen, but also keeping it moody I, was, was, a, was important. And also not collapsing the venue. Yes. Right, Teresa? Yes. <laughs> Well, so best, that, that, that's, that's a really good point. It's, you know, so you can give your client that great, perfectly lit uh, location for, the, for, that, for that shot. And, and you can, like, you can fit that into this really moody or, or sort of theatrically lit overall structure. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's, that's another thing that's interesting about fashion is, like, it's, it exists on so many different levels. Like, it exists as, 
you know, a linear show, but it also exists as these like tiny little moments in time. Like you have a camera that's rolling the whole thing and then you have just a photographer who's like just holding down the shutter, like capturing these little moments of it. So, right. you know, thinking big picture about how can, you know, how can it look good, uh, you know, on an overall video and then also look good in, in a microsecond burst. And then also, you know, the big thing, and, you know, we get this all the time as people who deal in fashion, but they like want a really bright runway in a really dark room. <laughs> and, you know, in yeah. New York, in the white galleries with concrete floors, that's physically impossible. And, you know, this was another moment where it was like they wanted a dark room and a bright fashion show. And so, you know, a front light, back light runway system would have just thrown so much spill into the room, but yes, like it cut it in half and it's like half as much light. And so suddenly the room is, is darker, but you still have these moments where a photographer can get a shot off, you know? And, and strangely enough, the silhouette shots where it's completely backlit, like were the ones that were all over the internet. Yeah, they were everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it's one of those you know, one of those, uh, you know, moments where, you know, you definitely listen to the client hundred percent for sure. But like, you know, give input, you know, I, it's like, I don't know where it came from, comes from, but you know, there's, um, you know, there's no, there's yes. And then there's like, yes. And, you know, and I don't know where it came from, but, uh, there's a saying yes is more you know, instead of less is more. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, say yes and do it, but also, you know, say, and we're going to do this, which is going to take care of this. So it's like, I think, I think my philosophy would be like, yes, and, <laughs> okay, <laughs> or yes, but, you know, that very, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Very little. No, but a lot of like, yes, but. yes, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll yeah. absolutely do that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. We want to do that. However, yeah, there's a little thing. Let's fix it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> the roof can't support this. Right. Right. You know, it's bad. You don't for want your... trust structure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So what about other things, Seth? What, um, you know, what about the other 25%? You know, it's unpredictable and I love that. You know, it's just uh, a phone call from, you know, someone you've worked with who has, you know, heard that you know how to maybe know how to do something. And even if I don't know how to do it, I usually say yes. You know, and, and it's always worth it. Just say yes, sweat, lose the sleep, do the job, learn something, get called again. You know, like it's, it's very uh, easy to like just say, no, I don't do that. You know, that's not what I do. But I, I just love the job that, you know, has an element where they just can't find a person. You know, if it's like, you know, a, a, a commercial with a dance moment. They don't know any dance lighting designers. I know a little bit about dance lighting, so why not? <laughs> I probably know more about dance lighting than they're going to find out on Wikipedia. So, you know, things like that. Or yeah, Because the, the dance lighting entry on Wikipedia was not written by Jennifer Tipton. So <laughs> and even if it was, you can't distill, <laughs> right. you know, so a couple decades of experience down into a paragraph on online. Right. right. But, you know, and it's just, it's almost like swallowing or stomping on your modesty. You know, it's like they call you and they're like, we have this dance scene. We need you to light it. And you just, you kind of want to say and probably should say, like, I'm not a dance lighting designer. But at the same time. Why not? Early days in New York. Push it. Yeah. See what you can do. You might be able to be that guy who exactly. can do that. And, and then having enough friends that, you know, you can call. A, friends see if they're available. Yes. Yeah. See if the two dance lighting designers you know are available. And then if they're not available, buy one dinner. 
learn a little, <laughs> you know, yes. and, and, you know, promise to call next time. Like that's, you know, that's part of the fun or, you know, even if it's, you know, even though I work, you know, as a designer almost exclusively, like sometimes there's a tech element, you know, sometimes we'll be shooting and, you know, it's a location space and there's some bizarro architectural system installed for the dimmers. No one else is going to figure it out. And I'm going to get a better lighting product if I figure out how to use the house dimmers. So here we go. All of a sudden, I'm the board operator. You right. know? And it's not like I'm sitting there programming the console. It's just that you know I'm willing to take the time and figure out how to plug into this bizarro architectural system because I'm going to be able to have dimmer control over everything, and that's going to make the shoot better. So it's like not being afraid to you know get your hands a little you know tech dirty because it's going to make the shoot goes so much better. Since you didn't specifically go to school for lighting or for theater, uh, you know, how did you learn what you know? Oh, okay. It's really just learning from everyone. You know, it's it's amazing, like on a set or on a project, you know, there's so many people with so much experience, like I can just learn from everyone. You know, I've, I've learned a lot from, you know, the guys who marshal traffic. You know, I've learned from, you know, the gaffers who, you know, are line designers, let's be honest, you know, like a gaffer knows a, a lot about lighting. And then just other lighting designers, you know, we get thrown into products with each other. Recently, you know, I've, I've encountered a, a number of lighting designers who have sort of made the jump up to creative director, you know, that they're, they were lighting designers and now they're creative directors of content, creative directors of uh, experiential stuff. <laughs> I don't know what the word than stuff. <laughs> well, they're not just designing the lighting, they're exactly. designing the, the, experience. Sort of the look the and experience. feel of yeah. the whole experience. Yeah, exactly. So they're doing the video, they're doing whatever like takeaway experiential thing is being designed and programmed. And, you know, I was really apprehensive. I was like, creative director, very well in line designer, how do I fit in? You know, this, this is going to be weird. But, you know, that actually ended up being my, you know, one of my highlights of last year. Because most of the time, you know, working in a vacuum, it was just so great to have someone who, you know, to, you know, sound ideas off with. But mostly just learning from everyone. You know, just everyone is there to learn from. You can learn from art department. You know, you can learn from producers. You can learn from the crew, you know. Crews, <laughs> they do more shows than I do, you know. A crew will just, they just bounce from designer to designer to designer to designer and you know, a lot of times they're my best source to hearing how other people do things and programmers too. Well, as I recall, you actually helped someone out a ton as a crew person yourself when they were asking you to gel hundred and some odd fresnels with neutral density. And you <laughs> said to throw in the flags. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. That's also true. You know, it's knowing, you know, knowing the gear, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's just a one. And that's what I love is just one giant dialogue. And what I love is the role switching. Like one day you'll be working for this guy and the next day he's working for you and it's all cool. You know, you call the shots today. He's going to protect you. You're going to protect him. You're going to learn from each other. And, um, you know, I, it just, you know, I always, <laughs> it's a, a lesson I learned early on, but you never know who anyone is. It's very true. Yeah. It's like very true. Somebody rolling a case, you know, you never know who that guy is. <laughs> you know, he could either be the producer's son, you know, or he could be, you know, a very, you know, accomplished designer who, 
is just happens to be rolling a case today. Exactly. He was available and we needed people. So it's just like, you just never know who anyone is. And, and it becomes especially true on union jobs oh my God. where, oh, you yes. know, it's, well, yeah, he's, <laughs> oh, yes. he's, he's working as a, as a hand on the electric screw today, but he's actually the shop boss at, you right. know, fill in the, yeah. you right. know, whatever gigantic venue in, you know, in New York yes. or somewhere else. And right. he's going to control your fate in a week when you load in. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very true. Yeah, and just every everyone has some every everything has something to teach, and then you just never know who anyone is. So just be careful. Mm-hmm. You know, just start start out from a mindset of like respecting everyone, and the universe just comes back to you. And don't Facebook it. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks very much, Seth. Yeah, yes. my pleasure. It's great to talk to you. This was fun. Yeah. No, I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Like I said, I, it's a real honor that you included me. So thank you. All right. Good luck with the condo. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to go back to painting this wall now. Oui. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to the latest episode of the Casting Light Podcast. A big thanks to our guest, Seth Bernstein. Thank you to my co-host, Teresa Unfried. Don't forget to check out her company's website at TajEventProductions.com. You can find Casting Light on the web at castinglightpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at Podcasting Light and on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Merritt. Thanks for listening and have a good show.